I'm a park ranger in the state of New Hampshire, and I've heard countless stories of strange sightings and unexplainable events in the forests and lakes of this area. But I always approach these stories with a skeptical mind, dismissing them as mere illusions or overactive imaginations. That is until I met a young man who shared his own encounter with me. He was 22 years old from southern Massachusetts, and he had visited his grandfather's lake house on Pine River Pond in New Hampshire with his cousin's allies and Paige when he was 16. Late one night, they decided to walk to the cabin when they came across a tall white figure that ran across the dirt road in front of them. The young man was initially scared speechless, but his cousin allies screamed loudly in terror. Despite his logical and skeptical mind, he couldn't deny the feeling of being watched the entire night, with the hairs on the back of his neck standing on end. He later discovered that other people had similar sightings in the area, and he found it eerie and fascinating. He even requested screenshots of his conversation with allies to keep as evidence of their experience. As a park ranger, I couldn't simply dismiss this story as an overactive imagination or hallucination. Instead, it sparked my curiosity and made me wonder about the mysteries and wonders of the natural world. I've since started to keep an open mind and to listen to the stories of those who have encountered strange phenomena. Who knows what other secrets and mysteries lay hidden in the forests and lakes of New Hampshire. I was camping with an ex-boyfriend a few years back there was a cornfield right across the highway next to the campground. We decided to go for a late night walk in the cornfield. As we're getting it on, we hear something metal being dragged across the asphalt. Almost sounded like a tire iron. We clearly don't see anybody or anything that could be making that noise and we're looking right in the direction the sound is coming from. We packed it in real quick and hurried back to the campground still don't have any logical explanation of what it could have been. Me and my brother had the same vivid nightmare at the exact same time in the same bed. Scariest dream either of us have ever had. About 15 seconds long. Mother comes upstairs with tray of cinnamon rolls in morning, asks us if we want some. We both are like... We're sick of canned cinnamon rolls. She gets pissed, reaches behind her ear, and peels her face off, revealing a slimy green alien-like monster with a really pointy long teeth. We know she's going to kill us. This nightmare is set in the exact surroundings we were in. Waterbed in a loft area. We freak out. My older brother starts running, jumps from the loft to the living room. She, it runs after him which gives me time to run downstairs. She or it doesn't jump down from loft. I get to living room, running for front door. I see my brother make it outside. Two seconds later, I make it through the threshold. Then I immediately wake up, turn to my brother. We're both sweating and heart racing. We proceed to take turns describing the nightmare we just had. We could not stop talking about it for months. Our mother eventually guilt-tripped us into not mentioning it again. By far the craziest thing that's ever happened to me and my brother. I think it was some kind of warning sent to us to not trust our mother. If so, it was a good warning to give. Our mother. Something broke in her long ago, during her divorce or something. She is beyond strange. I still have no idea what turned her into what she is. Always been really poisonous. I was in fourth and my brother was in seventh when this happened. Nothing at all similar happened again. No nightmare has ever matched the perfect realism. It's like it happened yesterday. I'm 48 now. This event altered the way I think about many things. Unarmed security for a residential building here. This is extremely tame compared to some of the other stories here, but this is a pretty salient subject and I have evidence. My site has a rooftop pool, and it's really one of the only major things the management gets anal about when it's supposed to be closed. 
On a chilly night not too long ago, I was posted up in the rooftop stairwell, staying warm when I hear a crescendoing fit of laughter that goes to the point where the laugher is gasping and choking. Kind of weird, but not a big deal considering that people throw parties and whatnot all the time and I could tell it wasn't close enough to be someone horsing around in the pool. Then I just start hearing a bunch of shrieking, and the source of the noise is moving around. At this point I step out, and I realize it's coming from the rooftop itself locked up and only accessible by non-security by scaling a concrete wall. The noise stops and I try to start zeroing from where exactly on this dark, slippery, cold-ass roof the noises were coming from. Then I see some footprints on the roof that were not there before. Barefoot prints with no heel print tiptoeing. Footprints that are dirtier than the surface of the roof itself. Noped my way right back inside because it was an hour before clock out, I'd much rather have something paranormal than a meth head on the roof running around with no shoes. A village surrounded by tales of the supernatural, but one story stood out from the rest. The legend of the Alma Panada, or the woman without cold. It all started with a report from a local lady who claimed to have seen a mysterious woman walking barefoot on cold nights along the road where the oldest houses stood. This peculiar sight caught the villagers' attention, as it was common for people to wake up during the night to add more wood to their fireplaces to keep warm. Seeing someone outside at such late hours, especially during freezing temperatures, was unusual to say the least. One fateful night, the village was startled by a series of blood-curdling screams emanating from beyond its borders. The sound was so dreadful that several men felt compelled to leave their homes and investigate. They believed someone must be in grave danger and set out to rescue whoever was in peril. As they approached a small forest on the outskirts of the village, they saw the source of the screams. It was the strange, barefoot woman from the earlier reports. She wasn't being attacked or threatened. She simply wandered out of the forest, screaming. The men quickly realized that this was no ordinary person. They were dealing with something beyond this world. Fearing the unknown, they extinguished their lanterns and hurried back to the village. From that night on, whenever they heard the terrifying screams, no one dared venture out. They knew it was the woman without cold, a being seemingly impervious to the frigid temperatures. The villagers couldn't determine whether she was a spirit or something else entirely, but her presence continued to haunt them. As a child, I remember lying in bed, my heart racing whenever I heard the eerie screams in the night. Despite my fear, I couldn't help but be captivated by the mystery of the woman without cold. Who was she, and what had brought her to our village? Years have passed, and I've since moved away from that small village, but the legend of the Alma Panada has never left me. Even now, on cold winter nights, I can't help but look out the window and wonder if I might catch a glimpse of the enigmatic woman who once walked the streets of my childhood home, her chilling cries echoing through the night. It was a warm evening in the early 90s when my dad and his best friend headed out to a drop camp for elk hunting in Washington State. The tent had already been set up, and they were a few miles away from civilization. The tent was in a frame with two separate rooms divided by tent material. They never zipped up either room to keep the air flowing, and the breeze was just right. They had been surrounded by elk on the first evening of their arrival, but the next four days, there was not a sight or sound of an elk. On the last night, they were lying in their cots in the back room, and it was pitch black outside. My dad woke up without knowing why and heard a scraping noise coming from the front room, as if a stick was coming through the tent's side. He could see his friend sitting up on his cot, and a backpack full of gear came flying through the curtain doors and rolled in between them. The backpack had roughly 30-35 pounds of gear and rolled six feet after hitting the floor. My father and his friend sat on their cots with arrows knocked and pointing at the curtain walls. They were both unarmed except for their bows. My father was scared and couldn't understand how he didn't hear anything. 
The forest was dead silent until the birds started chirping in the morning. My father never hunted in that area again. The incident had left him traumatized. The fact that something could come in undetected and throw a backpack without making any sound was unsettling. They had experienced something otherworldly and unexplainable. I am Ari, a young tribeswoman of the Native American tribe who have lived in the shadow of the majestic mountain for generations. Our lives have been peaceful, governed by the wisdom of our elders and the harmony we share with the land. But lately, a dark cloud has fallen upon our tribe. We have been plagued by a series of unexplained and brutal animal attacks, leaving us terrified and questioning our place in this world. The elders believe that these attacks were the work of a mysterious and powerful unknown predator lurking in the dark corners of the land. And so, I was chosen to investigate this phenomenon and put an end to the terror that haunted our people. As I delved deeper into the mystery, I ventured far from our village and into the heart of the wilderness. There, I uncovered an ancient tribal legend of a shadowy creature that could control the minds of animals, turning them into deadly weapons. This horrifying revelation shook me to my core, but I knew I had to return to my tribe and share what I had discovered. However, when I finally returned to the village, my heart shattered into a thousand pieces. My tribe had been destroyed, and my family, along with everyone I had ever known, was dead. The grief was unbearable, but I couldn't let the sorrow consume me. I had to find the unknown predator that had caused so much pain and suffering. But as I searched far and wide, the creature remained elusive, as if it was a ghost that had vanished into thin air. I knew, though, that I couldn't give up. I had to avenge my family and my people, and I would not rest until I had found the beast and put an end to its reign of terror. As the days turned into weeks and the weeks into months, I continued my relentless pursuit. But the unknown predator remained out of reach, hidden in the shadows. One day, as I sat on a cliff overlooking the setting sun, I made a solemn vow to myself and to the spirits of my lost tribe. I would never give up. I would continue my quest for revenge, and one day, I would find the creature that had brought so much darkness to our land. And so, with the memory of my family and my people burning brightly within my heart, I set off into the fading light, determined to find the unknown predator and restore balance to our world. For I am Ari, the last of my tribe, and I will not rest until justice has been served. I've got a strange story to share that happened at the U.S. Army base at the Presidio in San Francisco, California. It was about the sighting of a human-like creature walking on all fours with pointed ears and fangs. I remember walking back to my quarters around 2.30 a.m., when I heard some strange sounds coming from the nearby forest. As I looked over, I saw what appeared to be a naked man with glowing eyes hunched over right by the edge of the trees. But it wasn't until this humanoid creature began walking on all fours that I realized something was not right about the situation. This was no man, I realized. I watched as the creature jumped over a five-foot fence with ease before disappearing into the forest. It was about six feet tall, had pointy ears, and long fangs protruding from its mouth. I thought the story would end there, but a few hours later, there were two more reports of the same humanoid creature sighted around the same area. My fellow officers told a very similar story of a strange figure crossing the road right in front of their vehicles. This is where it gets interesting. That particular road was open to only army personnel so this means something from outside the base had somehow gotten in the forest. Another officer told a strikingly similar story about seeing this werewolf-like figure walking on all fours and jumping over a locked gate to get past it. We can't be sure of what exactly we saw, but there really is no other explanation than something very strange was roaming around the Presidio that night. I don't want to speculate about what this creature was, but I do admit it would be hard for somebody in the area to have an exotic pet without anybody knowing since it's so vast and remote with many places for animals or people to hide. 
Whatever was out there is, unfortunately, no longer around or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Hopefully, somebody gets a good look at this thing the next time it decides to make an appearance. I was deer hunting, seated on my stand at ground level, facing generally north. This field is 20 acres tractor mode. I was near the upper middle near a large rock and cherry tree. This entity was first seen with naked eyes. Thought it might be light and leaves playing tricks on my sight. The oak and beech brush still had their leaves. Sometimes this can happen when you are out all day in 18 Fahrenheit temps. I then observed it with 10 by 50 binoculars, it was still there. I noted that the area was very quiet, no birds or other normal outside sounds. My observation lasted about 6 minutes. I carry a field notebook as we are very active birders. I sketched what I saw and noted colors and size. No snow, little wind, 18 degrees Fahrenheit. The entity appeared very solid and I observed no movable joints. It never moved. The legs looked like stovepipe six inches diameter. The arms were the same, terminated in rounded ends, no digits, ends were even with crotch. The body was also round about 14 inches in diameter. The head looked like a round bottom bucket turned upside down, about as tall as the body was wide 14 inches. In the area where the eyes would be was a black shinny area three inches wide and stretching across the front. Overall height was over nine feet. It was standing in weeds and goldenrod, I could not see the feet. I never saw it arrive, and it departed while I was scanning for deer. If it had stayed there, I would have tried to approach it. I had no fear and lots of questions. I would like to know if other folks have observed similar entities, and where. One late night I was was all alone at the house. I was in my room on the green screen. Laptop on bed and I was in a chair where I can see the door into the hallway. All of a sudden I see a blur go by the door. I figure it was late and my eyes playing tricks on me. And then I heard what sounded like someone running down the hall and then a door slam. Now every door in the house stays open unless you're using the restroom or sleeping so I know all the doors are open. I grab my pistol and take a look-see in the hall. Nobody in hall and my parents' door was shut, but they were out of town. The alarm is set so I know no doors or windows were open. I call my buddy over and we clear that bedroom. Couldn't find nobody or any sign of anyone being in there. Not sure what that was, but know what I heard and I know that the door was originally open. Back when I was a kid, my mother always spoke about her mom, being a ranger. She would tell my mom how much she loved it. It inspired me to want to follow in her footsteps. With my grandparents dying and all, I watched my mother do her job and she loved that park with everything she had. She did it well. She claims the only downfall was all the odd stuff she had heard in the trees, and that was apparently normal. As I grew up, I took over every day that I am on the job watching. I make sure that I always have my special soda with me. It always brings me comfort knowing I have my favorite drink. My friends always told me not to apply for the job, since so many resign and so many are told to keep quiet about things they see. My friends told me that people who get an opportunity to become a ranger, you begin to see some strange things. Back in 2019. I got a call to do the night shift for a park. My husband told me not to go. We had already made plans to go off for Christmas. I said we can't go out to eat if I'm not working to put food on the table. Besides, they need extra rangers to patrol and I need to be there to help. We can celebrate when I get back. I went out the door, heading to the park. I was thinking on the way to the job, that if I get bit by something, Nobody is there to save me. At least I have my watch that the job gave me to communicate with others. The job is a blessing. Even if you are in trouble, you can always call somebody and they will help. Usually as I arrive to work, 
I see my best friend at work and did not know she was on the same shift. She had been doing a double. When I approached her, we spoke and she told me about the strange noises she heard right near a pond. All I wanted to do was go home and be with my husband. I really couldn't do anything but continue the job. She clocks back in for break and I'm just beginning my shift. It dawned on me that I forgot where my watch was. My friend told me to stay posted, and I agreed. We walked to my vehicle to get my soda. Anyway, I look over and I can't find my drink. I kept telling her the stage gets better, and better. The event has started, and we're now patrolling the park, making sure everything is running smoothly. She gets a call telling her she needs to split and go to the other side. Someone is requesting her. She told her boss copy that she would report back to him. Turns out the boss never told her to split. It was something interfering. I went to the other side of the park to check on her, and I watched this creature jump down from the tree onto her back, driving both of them into the pond. I ran, trying to rip her off, but this thing was so strong it was not worth it. This creature went into the water so fast I didn't see it. It was a blessing that I've managed to survive. But my friend, well, that's a different story. I immediately reached out to the dispatcher in the park. Nobody answered. I called again from the watch and got the boss. I told them I was worried, and when it happened, he said they were going to send help. Right away they went in after her to try and locate her body. But there's no such luck finding anything. We had to shut down the park. We could not risk any of the public getting injured. We also informed the authorities and had them evacuate out of the park. Police said that it was something out of the ordinary that dragged her into the pond, as if that wasn't any more obvious. When we began to review the footage, we saw her, the noise that she had mentioned. My boss had simply come to the conclusion that she was going crazy, and we know she'd been going through things. But this is definitely not crazy. We had to call our family and let them know what had happened. So my job asked me called me while we were being so close. They did not take it well. So before I went home, I stopped by and let them know what happened. They were in disbelief. They could not believe it. I went home after, and before I could share with my husband what had happened, he saw the scratches on my arm and face from that thing. I broke down and told him that she's dead and everything had to be closed down. Facing her family was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. This is the only Christmas where I've had to work, and I hate it. I hate what I had to see. I had always been fascinated by the eerie stories my Aunt Mabel would tell us about her life in the rural area of western North Carolina, near the Smoky Mountains. As a child, I would listen intently as she spun tales of strange happenings and mysterious creatures that roamed the land. However, I never thought I would experience one of these stories myself. In October of 2022, Aunt Mabel invited me to visit her and her husband, Uncle Pete, for a weekend getaway. Their home was nestled at the foot of the mountains, surrounded by dense woods that seemed to hold a thousand secrets. I was excited to experience the tranquility and beauty of nature, as well as spend some time with my favorite relatives. On the first night of my visit, Aunt Mabel cooked a delicious feast, and we spent the evening reminiscing about old times and laughing at our shared memories. As we were cleaning up after dinner, Uncle Pete mentioned that he had been hearing some strange noises at night lately. He described them as heavy footsteps on their roof as if some large creature was stomping around up there. Uncle Pete, a practical man who was rarely frightened by anything, assumed it was probably just a large raccoon or some other critter that had found its way onto their roof. However, Aunt Mabel's eyes grew wide, and she shared that the local Cherokee Indians had legends about a creature called the Dogman, a terrifying beast that was known to stalk the woods around the Smoky Mountains. As the night wore on, we discussed the possibility of the dogman being responsible for the strange noises on the roof. I was both excited and apprehensive about the idea, as I had always been intrigued by cryptids and supernatural phenomena, but I wasn't sure how I would react if I actually encountered one. 
That night, as I lay in bed, I strained to listen for any strange sounds coming from the roof. At first, there was nothing but the gentle rustling of leaves outside my window. But just as I was about to drift off to sleep, I heard it a heavy thud, followed by the unmistakable sound of large footsteps. I sat up in bed, my heart pounding in my chest as I strained to hear more. For several minutes, the footsteps continued, moving from one end of the roof to the other. Then, just as suddenly as they had begun, they stopped. I didn't sleep a wink for the rest of the night, my mind racing with thoughts of the dogmen and what it might be doing on my aunt and uncle's roof. The next morning, I told Aunt Mabel and Uncle Pete about the noises I had heard. They exchanged worried glances, and Aunt Mabel decided that it was time to consult with a local Cherokee elder who was well-versed in the legends and lore of the dogmen. We spent the day with the elder, learning more about the mysterious creature and its connection to the land. He explained that the dogman was an ancient spirit that guarded the forests, and that it was likely attracted to my aunt and uncle's home because of its remote location. I didn't believe it, but my aunt was into the whole story. That night, I was outside, trying to see what's on roof. I spent whole night, but I never heard or seen anything. Unfortunately, I had to leave next day. I asked my aunt and uncle to call me if they notice a sound on the roof again. Interestingly enough, we never spoke of it again. At 54 years old, I am a husband, father, and grandfather with a few years of Navy experience under my belt. My story takes place in central Pennsylvania, home to the Bald Eagle Ridge, a 60-mile-long mountain ridge that marks the boundary of the Appalachian Plateau to the west. This region of Pennsylvania is stunning, with the majority of the state's population residing in the valleys rather than the secluded mountaintops. About a decade ago, my wife, 25-year-old son, two grandchildren, and one of their friends joined me for a walk at the reservoir that supplies drinking water to our area in central Pennsylvania. The reservoir, created by damming a creek that runs through the valley, is a picturesque spot teeming with fish and surrounded by wildlife. Before suffering two strokes in recent years, I was an avid hunter and fisherman who taught my family to appreciate nature. Naturally, my son and I were armed during our walk to protect ourselves from any potentially dangerous animals. Despite starting our walk later than planned, we enjoyed our journey up the mountain. As night fell, we each carried a flashlight and proceeded without concern. While walking, I suddenly felt uneasy for no apparent reason. I then heard what sounded like heavy footsteps above us on the steep hillside to our left. As my son led our group, we all stopped to listen. I couldn't help but feel startled, though I initially dismissed the sound as a deer or another animal. However, the entire group remained alert as we continued walking. Soon, we heard the sound of a large branch snapping, followed by what seemed like a tree or boulder being thrown. It was a loud noise, different from the sound of a tree falling due to wind. We then heard what sounded like a heavy person running. At this point, we picked up our pace, trying to reach our truck quickly. Although our flashlights illuminated the hillside, we saw nothing but trees. The remainder of the walk back to the truck was uneventful, but we remained on high alert, unsure of what had made the noise. Based on my experience, I believe it sounded like something had ripped a tree from the ground and thrown it. Could it have been a Bigfoot shadowing us? It's a possibility I cannot dismiss. I had always been fascinated by the unknown. The woods, the creatures that might lurk within them, and the mysteries of the supernatural had always captured my imagination. As a child, I spent countless hours exploring the forest, boating on the lake, and camping with my friends. Despite all the time I spent in the woods, I had never really experienced anything out of the ordinary. That is, until the day I met Police Officer Doyle. It was a beautiful summer afternoon, and I decided to take a hike in the woods behind my house. I had been walking for a couple of hours when suddenly, the atmosphere changed. The woods went eerily quiet, 
and I felt an overwhelming sense of dread wash over me. My gut instincts were telling me to leave, so I turned around and hurried back the way I came. As I made my way out of the woods, I stumbled upon Officer Doyle. He was standing at the edge of the forest, a look of concern etched across his face. He asked me if I was alright, and if I had seen or heard anything unusual. I hesitated, not sure if I should share my experience with him. But something about his kind eyes and genuine concern made me trust him, so I opened up about the unnerving silence and the fear I felt. Officer Doyle nodded, as if he had heard similar stories before. He told me that he had been investigating strange occurrences in these woods for years. Sightings of creatures, strange lights, and unexplained phenomena were not uncommon, but the townsfolk were often too scared or skeptical to talk about them. Officer Doyle, however, believed that there was more to these stories than mere superstition. I listened intently as he shared his own experiences with the unexplained, including a close encounter with what he believed to be Bigfoot. He explained that he had once been a skeptic himself, but after witnessing the impossible, he became a staunch advocate for the existence of the supernatural. Officer Doyle's stories and his passion for seeking the truth inspired me to rethink my own beliefs. I realized that I had no right to dismiss the experiences of others, especially when I had felt that inexplicable fear myself. Our conversation that day sparked a friendship that would last for years as we continued to explore the unknown together. As I look back on my experiences and the people I've met, I'm grateful for Officer Doyle and the day I listened to my gut instincts. It opened up a whole new world of possibilities and made me question everything I thought I knew. And by sharing our stories, we not only gave credibility to the subject, but also found solace in knowing that we were not alone in our experiences. One of my favorite things about living in Washington is the eeriness of its forests. I 28 female have had a few weird experiences here, but one of the creepiest happened like an hour away from Offwood Lake in Covington. You got me with the Weyer Heuser because I would always pass Weyer Heuser Ave on the way to the home of a guy 30 male I was seeing. It was 3 a.m., and we were outside with the dog letting her conduct a business transaction and smoking a cigarette. I had started this routine because I would have a hard time sleeping at his house. He would come outside with me most of the time, but if he didn't, I would be okay alone on the front porch with the pooch. My ex-boyfriend walks over to the other side of the driveway towards the trash cans, and I'm trying to get the dog to the grass. She will not move a muscle, and is shaking a little looking straight ahead. I stop and look in the same direction. At the same time, we hear a loud laugh unlike any I have heard before. The best way I could describe it is if you imagine this laugh was the source of all evil like it's mocking you, but it's more disturbing than that even because it sounds inhuman, and it was deep. The length of the laugh was like ha-ha and abruptly stopped. We freeze and look at each other trying to comprehend what we just heard. It echoed as if the sky was the source of this horrible sound. We never heard anything like that again, but I feel once was too much. We were sober and aware at time. If I was alone, it would be easier to brush off as my imagination. The fact that the dog reacted a second before it happened and knew the direction and my ex-boyfriend had a similar reaction as me to the sound reinforces the reality the disturbing laugh did occur. Washington can get weird. There's one spot in Tucker, Georgia that never fails to give me chills John's homestead. This old, vacant farmhouse sits in disarray alongside a busy highway, surrounded by a few acres of woods, two century-old churches, and old cemeteries. It's a strange patch of land that feels disconnected from the bustling urban communities around it. The history of the place is vague. All I know is that the landowner's name was John Johns, and an old photo of him shows a stern, unhappy man. The property has always creeped me out, but curiosity kept pulling me back. I visited the homestead a few times, and each time I felt as if I was being watched. The atmosphere was heavy and unsettling, 
but I couldn't help wanting to explore the old house and its surroundings. On my last visit, I arrived just before dark. The walk to the house was uneventful, and I found myself at the chain-link fence that surrounded the crumbling structure, which had been deemed structurally unsafe. The inside of the house appeared pitch black, even though the doors and windows didn't seem to be completely boarded up. Suddenly, I realized that darkness was falling quickly, and the familiar feeling of unease began to wash over me. I decided to leave and started walking back towards the trail. Just as I re-entered the wooded area, I heard a loud thud. My first thought was that a tree limb had fallen, but the sound wasn't accompanied by any snaps or cracks. I hesitated for a moment before continuing towards my car, the darkness now almost complete. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off about this place. A few days later, I read in the news that human remains had been found just a few feet from where I had heard the noise. The county never released any details about the identity of the body or what had happened, even after a year had passed. So many questions remain unanswered. What's so special about this particular crumbling house? Why has this small stretch of woods remained undeveloped? What did I hear that night, and who was found dead? The mystery of John's homestead continues to haunt me, and I can't help but wonder if there's something more to this eerie patch of land than meets the eye. As the urban landscape continues to encroach on this small, seemingly forgotten corner of Tucker, the secrets hidden within its shadows may never be revealed. As an avid angler, I had always found solace in the gentle flow of the Rio Grande River. The tranquility of the water, the rustling leaves, and the chirping birds offered an unparalleled escape from the bustling city life. I often went fishing on weekends, and this particular day was no exception. I arrived at my favorite spot near the UTEP College, right under the high train bridge off of Executive on the west side of El Paso. As I set up my fishing gear, I couldn't help but notice an eerie stillness in the air. It was as if the usual serenity of the river had been replaced by an unsettling silence. I cast my line and waited patiently, trying to shake off the strange sensation. However, I couldn't ignore the peculiar sight that awaited me when I pulled up my first catch of the day. What I had expected to be a fish turned out to be a bizarre collection of items, likely the remnants of a satanic ritual that had taken place the night before. There were three saint candles, a dime, and a Walmart rotisserie chicken with a bite taken out of it. The sight of these objects, so out of place in the peaceful surroundings, sent a shiver down my spine. I couldn't shake the feeling that I had stumbled upon something dark and sinister. Despite the odd discovery, I tried to focus on my fishing, hoping to put the unsettling scene out of my mind. However, the thought of what had transpired in this beautiful spot continued to nag at me. Who would do such a thing and why? What had they hoped to gain from this ritual? As I sat there, pondering these questions, I heard footsteps approaching from behind. I turned to see a park ranger making his rounds. Relieved to see a friendly face, I greeted him and shared my strange discovery. He, too, appeared disturbed by the sight but assured me that he would report the incident and make sure the area was cleaned up. I couldn't help but feel somewhat relieved by his presence, as if the darkness that had cast a shadow over the river had been chased away. I thanked the ranger and returned to my fishing, hoping to salvage what was left of my peaceful retreat. As the day wore on and the sun began to set, the river seemed to regain its usual tranquility. The bizarre encounter was now just a strange memory, a reminder that even in the most serene of places, darkness can sometimes find its way in. But with the support of those who care for and protect these natural sanctuaries, we can ensure that the light always prevails. The night was heavy with anticipation as we geared up for our airborne insertion. We were a Navy SEAL team on a mission tasked with parachuting deep behind enemy lines to gather crucial intel. The adrenaline coursed through our veins, each of us mentally preparing for the calculated chaos that awaited us. The hatch opened, 
and the roar of the plane's engines mingled with the rhythmic beating of our hearts. As I leapt into the void, the Inkai darkness swallowed me whole. My parachute deployed with a reassuring snap, and for a moment I hung suspended between heaven and earth, a lone shadow in the vast expanse. The plan was precise. Descend, regroup mid-air, and glide silently into the designated drop zone. However, the best laid plans often crumble in the face of unforeseen circumstances. The night betrayed us with gusts of wind, mercilessly whipping us off course. I struggled to control my parachute, the ground below becoming an abstract mosaic of shadows. Communication crackled through the headset, revealing the extent of the navigation errors. We were miles away from our intended drop zone, deep in unfamiliar territory. Panic lingered on the edges of our composure, threatening to unravel the fabric of our mission. As I descended through the moonlit night, my boots met the ground with an unsettling crunch. The team assembled in the darkness, the foreign landscape a stark contrast to the maps etched in our minds. We were in uncharted territory, a situation that demanded adaptability and resilience. The first signs of danger were subtle and otherworldly rustle in the underbrush, an eerie silence that echoed through the unfamiliar terrain. The oppressive darkness seemed to harbor secrets, and we moved cautiously, senses heightened. Then it revealed itself an unknown creature, a silhouette against the shadows, its eyes reflecting an otherworldly glint. The creature lunged with a speed that defied reason, and chaos erupted. My training kicked in as I grappled with the unknown assailant. Its movements were alien, unpredictable. Every instinct screamed danger as we engaged in a deadly dance in the moonlit wilderness. The creature's claws scraped against my armor, and my breaths came in ragged gasps. Survival instincts took over, and with a burst of adrenaline, I managed to break free. I staggered backward, my eyes fixed on the creature as it retreated into the darkness. The encounter left me shaken, a silent witness to the existence of something beyond our comprehension. As the team regrouped, we sent out distress signals, our beacon in the wilderness. The minutes stretched into an agonizing eternity, the unknown creature's presence lingering in the shadows. Then, Salvation arrived a rescue team emerging from the darkness, their reassuring silhouettes cutting through the night. Battered but alive, we were extracted from the perilous situation that unfolded miles away from our intended destination. The creature remained a mystery, a cryptic encounter etched into the annals of our mission. As I looked back at the wilderness we left behind, I couldn't shake the feeling that some secrets were best left in the shadows, a testament to the unpredictable nature of the unknown that awaited those who dared to venture beyond the boundaries of familiarity. As a kid, I used to wake up to see people standing around my bed. Not a crowd, but one or two or three. They'd be just standing there looking at me and sometimes around my brother's bed as well. I'd close my eyes and hightail it out of there to my parents' room and sleep on the floor for the rest of the night. It started on a family vacation to Maryland where we were staying in a large old home. I woke up to an old white lady with a black man standing in the doorway of this large room. The adults put the kids in to sleep. She pointed at me and he walked over to my bed, picked me up, and laid me back down facing the other direction. I spun back around in the bed and they were gone. The second time was staying the night at my aunt's house, another person watching in the doorway. From there it progressed to be a more common occurrence. As I was getting older this was plain getting old. I remember one night trying to touch one of their hands, but there was nothing tangible there. I know most are going to say it was the imagination of a child, but back then I swear it was real. So much that I am getting goosebumps writing this. No lie. It all stopped when I prayed to Jesus to make me not see the people anymore. One prayer and it ended. Since they were never threatening figures, I always considered them to be angels of sorts. Hence why they went invisible when I asked for them to go away. No, they weren't white with wings, just people standing there. When I was seven years old, my mom, my younger brother, 
and I were sitting in our living room watching TV. It was a typical evening, and we were all enjoying a relaxing night in. Our living room had an open layout, and the kitchen was visible from where we were sitting. The kitchen table was right next to the living room, and one of the chairs was backed up to the carpet line. As we were watching TV, my mom's jacket, which was hanging on the back of the chair in the kitchen, suddenly started swaying back and forth. It was a strange sight because there was no air conditioner on, and all the doors and windows were closed. We all looked at each other in shock, wondering if we had just seen the same thing. At first, we thought it was just a strange draft, but as the jacket continued to sway, we started to feel uneasy. My brother and I clung to our mom, scared of what might happen next. It felt like an eternity before the jacket finally stopped moving, and we all let out a sigh of relief. Even though we tried to come up with a logical explanation for what we had seen, we couldn't shake off the feeling that something strange had happened. That experience stayed with us for a long time, and we always made sure to keep an eye on that chair in the kitchen. Looking back on it now, I still can't explain what caused the jacket to move like that, but it's a memory that will stay with me forever. A few weeks ago, my buddy and I decided to go elk hunting in an area with a lot of bear sign. There were poop and trees that were all scratched up. We decided to spike camp in some timber. I slept on the ground while my buddy slept in a hammock. In the middle of the night, I woke up to something walking around outside my tarp. At first, I didn't think much of it, so I listened to it milling around for a bit before falling back asleep. The next morning, I asked my buddy if he had heard anything walking around. He told me that something had actually walked into his hammock. He heard it approaching, and then it hit the strap on his hammock before moving off. We weren't sure what it was, but it was definitely unsettling. It was more unsettling for my buddy than it was for me. We both knew that there were bears in the area, but we couldn't be sure if that was what we heard. It was a little nerve-wracking, but we continued with our hunting trip. We made sure to be extra cautious and alert, keeping an eye out for any potential dangers. Thankfully, nothing else happened for the remainder of our trip, and we both returned home safely. I remember the day my cousin called me to come help pack out a buck he had killed at our deer camp, deep in the woods about five miles from the trailhead. I loaded up my Polaris and made my way to the trailhead, where I saw two men donning their packs and preparing to head in. I exchanged greetings and quickly made my way to camp. After successfully packing out the meat, we made our way back to the trailhead, where we noticed one of the men, the younger one, sitting alone on his tailgate. He approached us and struck up a conversation about the hunt, but then he asked us a strange question. He asked if we had seen an older man on our way back, explaining that his father had dementia and he had lost sight of him while hiking. I couldn't help but wonder why the son would let his father out of his sight in the first place. Nevertheless, we had a long drive ahead of us and we were physically exhausted, so we offered to contact someone when we got cell service. The man declined and we headed home. Later that night, at 10 p.m., an alert from one of our cell cameras came through. It was a picture of the missing older man, nowhere near the area where the son claimed to have lost sight of him. I immediately called the sheriff's office and was put in contact with the search and rescue team leader. They asked if I could come back up and hike in with them to the location of the camera. I felt terrible for not helping earlier, but I knew I had to do something. I loaded back up and headed back to the trailhead. It was freezing cold, but the search and rescue team had a helicopter with a thermal camera and about 20 people on the ground searching for the missing man. I was about two miles from the trailhead when I ran into an officer with the son and the old man. They had just found him because he had followed a creek down and ended up near the forest road. He had traveled about 18 miles and had only a phone with him, which he had put on airplane mode to save battery. It was a long day, but thankfully the man was found and reunited with his family. 
I couldn't help but feel guilty for not helping earlier, but I was glad I could help in some way. It's a reminder to always be vigilant and lend a helping hand when needed. My friend and I went to a holiday party about a year back, and we had an early morning meeting for a volunteer event the following day. It was around 12.01 a.m. when we decided to leave the party, but my friend realized that she forgot to buy drinks for the meeting in the morning. Not wanting her to have to wake up earlier than she had to, I offered to drive her to a nearby grocery store that happened to be open late. On the way there, we realized that it was super quiet and there wasn't any other cars around, which is pretty typical if it would have been a weekday. But it was a Saturday, and usually Saturdays are busy until 3 a.m. in our city. Nonetheless, we drove on and reached the store. As we drove in, we saw a lady literally appear seemingly out of nowhere, dancing around in a very free-looking way. I don't really know how to describe her outfit other than almost pirate-like. There were pieces of cloth hanging off of her outfit. Her face was pale white with dark, but neat, eye makeup, and her hair looked like it might have been really big dreadlocks with more cloth, or maybe even feathers, tied into it. We quickly pulled into a far parking spot, well away from her, and practically sprinted into the store, and when we looked back, she was gone. Not sure if this matters, but I figured I would include the ambience of the store as well in case this is a cross-dimensional experience. The lights were dim with some flickering, and when we first walked in, there was a couple, about middle-aged, and I think the woman was pregnant if I remember correctly, whispering to, seemingly, the only employee. When they spotted us, they stopped talking and watched us walk down the juice aisle. Needless to say, my friend said she changed her mind and wanted to leave. When we first stepped out, we both happened to look to our left and saw the woman from earlier, standing still at the opposite end of the parking lot. We immediately booked it to my car, got in, and locked the doors. But when I tried to start it, it wouldn't. I had just bought the car a couple of weeks prior from a certified dealership, and the car never had, and still never has to this day, given me issues. Luckily, after a few turns of the key, my car started and we left. In my rearview mirror, the entity danced towards my car again, but it was almost as though she was sprinting because she was moving so quick towards us. Once we made it back over the hill towards our homes, it was as though every single car that should have been on the other side of the hill appeared and the town was as busy as usual. I still have no idea who what we saw, but I know very well that there was no way that what we experienced was natural or of this world. If anyone has opinions on what creature or entity we saw that night, please share. As much as I'm still scared of that incident, I am anxious to know what we experienced.